This is Paul Moody, and you're listening to Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. I'm Jay Mack, your host. Not sure about you, but I can imagine you're all still feeling rather buzzy about that away win at Leicester. But alas, there is little time to get too carried away, for our focus now turns to our next mission against Manchester City this Saturday at 3pm. So with me to discuss this walk in the park are Matthew Statoata and sexual Morgan Colton, with a side dish of Frenchie and Danny discussing the phone career of Diamanzi Kamara. All on the other side of this night. Fulham. And I just want to say, just off air there, Stater just asked, why, why aren't you not sexual? And I'm, I'm going to say, Stater, that you you absolutely are. I'm really sorry for not giving you a good old pun there, mate. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, Parker and Guardiola have something in common. They are both managers who have all struggled to get results this season, as Man City now sit 11th with just four wins from nine games. Spurs and Leicester have both beaten them already, and Leeds and West Ham have drawn with them. So, there are points to be had potentially there it's going to be hard uh particularly when you consider we are off the back of a win against fourth place Leicester is it crazy Morgan I'll go to you first to think we can get something from this game yeah mildly I mean Man City away it's uh okay it's (laughs) it's never going to be an easy game uh we've proven that uh in recent years but you know crazy things do happen you know this whole year's been crazy why not just one more crazy thing Obviously, they are just off the back of a 5-0 home win against a team in the same area as us. But uh, yeah, we we put in a very, very good performance against Leicester. And I think if we keep that same uh, game plan and, you know, we get a bit of luck here and there, yeah, why not? You know, Christmas miracles. We're in that season now. I'm willing to admit it's Christmas season. So let's go with it. Lovely. What are your thoughts on it, Stanton, mate? Do you think with any luck we stick to the same sort of counter-attacking system that we had very direct approach against Leicester we can potentially maybe possibly salvage a draw out of this I know it's crazy I mean we're all talking a bit crazy but just why not let's just be a bit yeah so so don't get me wrong the win the win against Leicester was fantastic and it's the best we played all season but you know at the same time this is Man City we're talking about they may not be at their scintillating best and they're far from the team they were a couple of seasons ago but they're still Mm. one of the top two or three teams in the country and one of the best teams in Europe, therefore the world. So it's it's a big step up from Leicester and we need an even bigger performance if we want to come away with anything at all. Yeah, I mean, this season has been their most inconsistent start under Guardiola. If we were going to pretend for a minute that we could get something out of this game. I mean, like I said, winning four out of the nine, drawing three and losing two in their nine opening games. Now, lack of goals, I'll just talk about their season so far. Lack of goals has been a big issue. I mean, last season, they averaged 2.7 goals per game. Currently, so far this season, they're averaging 1.6 goals, a major difference from what they're used to. I mean, lack of lack of goals could be attributed to the loss of David Silva, their creative midfielder, after a very successful spell with City, obviously, and the loss of, in the past, Silver and company, along with the aging Aguero, it does seem to show that the club are very much in a transition period at the moment and, you know, a changing of the guard, if you will. And having already qualified from their Champions League group with two games to spare, I mean, actually, they drew with Porto the other night, didn't they? That's right. Yeah. So a luxury that allows them to rest key players during midweek games. And I can just... I just like to think of what you think of Pep's season so far, Stato. I'll go straight back to you with that. I mean, it's arguably... I think actually statistically his worst start since Mark Hughes. Their worst starts. 
It's it's a very interesting time for Guardiola and Man City. Um, as you mentioned, they're in somewhat of a transition period. You know, they've lost their key leaders, company Silva Aguero. Well, not Aguero, but he's he's a kind of a, more of a bit part player at the moment because of injuries and because he's getting older. And when you kind of lose the core spine of a team like that, and you're having to transition and kind of rebuild a team and um, set up in a different way, it takes time and. Uh, so Alex Ferguson, he was the master of this. You know, he went through so many um, different teams throughout his successful career. You know, he started off with uh, the team in the early 90s with Steve Bruce and Mark Hughes and that kind of transitioned into the Cantoners and the class of 92 um, and then towards the whole Ronaldo Rooney era. And with Pep, he he's never stuck around at a team long enough to kind of rebuild a team uh, with the club he's currently at with Barcelona, he had a successful phase. He moved on to Bayern. Mm. He had a successful phase with Bayern. Then he moved on to City. This is kind of the first time he's stuck around at a club and is kind of looking to kind of overhaul it and you know, create a second successful spell. So, you know, I think we've caught City at a good time where they're currently at. You know, as you mentioned, it's kind of out, it's a changing of the guard. Like the good, like they're good, successful phases. I wouldn't say it's coming to an end, but it's it's moving on to the start of a new one, which may take a season or two to get going. So, I think if mm. there was any time to play Man City, it would be now during this period when you know nothing's quite settled in that team yet. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. They still look absolutely shit hot. I mean, you know, Mara scored a hat trick in his last game. You know, it was an incredible performance by them against Burnley. But yeah, I know what you mean. There is just if there was any chance of getting something it would probably be this season I know Pep recently extended his contract to two years um, a lot of people saying that's because Messi's on his way in that's probably very likely I'm not sure but there is just a vibe that potentially is a bit of a rocky road for them at the moment I'll be interested to know your thoughts on this Morgan I, I'd just like to quickly get your thoughts on Guardiola do you think there's an argument here that Pep Guardiola has actually been dining out on the players inherited for quite a while because I feel he spent about, I mean, nearly half a billion on like fullbacks or what have you. But I feel like if you look at the players that are always standing out for a Manchester City team, it's De Bruyne, it's Sterling, it's Aguero. This is the same and company before he left. These are the same players that actually Pep Guardiola inherited. I'm just basically chucking a ball at you saying if you think there's a bit of a fraudiola. I don't, I don't think I'd go down the fraudiola um, route just purely because regardless of whether you have these you know great individual players you need to make them work as a team and you've we've seen that a lot you know there are plenty of teams out there where they have great individual players but if they don't have the right, right manager you know handling them they don't play well together and clearly Guardiola has done that and whilst this season has been slightly rocky if you look at their home record I mean it's you know, they lost against Leicester and they drew against uh, Liverpool, but they've won every other home game, I think, this season. And we've also got to remember yes. that, you know, they only had a month off between the um, those last few Champions League games when they played them in Portugal and the start of the Premier League season. So much like us, they've had a very short close season and coming off the back of so many games. And let's face it, when you're playing... Uh, top level Premier League and Champions League, they're you know high quality, higher intensity games than we're getting in the Championship. You know, yes, they've got a big squad, they've got a quality squad, but for any players like that, they do need a rest because they you know they leave themselves out on the pitch 
for the most part when they play matches. And, you know, mm. to then not really have a rest before pre-season starts is pretty brutal for them. Uh, and I'm not trying to sort of make excuses for Guardiola. I think he's a great manager, uh, coach, what do you want to call him these days? Uh, but I think, you know, when you look at the table, they're three points off fourth. It's still early days. They had a bit of a, yeah. you know, recovery time to, you know, start season. And I think you only have to look at their performance against Burnley last weekend to realise Guardiola's not done there. You know, there is a bit of a transition, but he's bringing in some new players and that. And they'll be challenging for top two this season. If not, you know, looking at the state of Liverpool's injury list, um, I don't yes. think, you know, Spurs will hold out, but, nor Chelsea. And I think they probably will end up winning it, to be fair. Yeah, the only reason I mention it is just because I've heard a few friends in the past talk about Guardiola. I don't believe that actually he's a fraud, but I just like to sort of throw out the idea that he, you know, the players that have been playing exceptionally well are still the players he inherited. And obviously the style's fantastic. He reached the Centurions two seasons ago, and that was wonderful. All right, guys, let's talk about Tosin Adarabaya really quickly. Uh, he returns to his former employees for the first time. Uh, many City fans were sad to see him leave for such a, you know, he was the very popular player for them. And how do you think he's done so far? I'll go to you with this stat. So he had a very good game against Leicester. There's a really good highlight reel of his work in the last game. Yeah, definitely. I think he's he's gone quite under the radar with us, if anything. Um, he came in quite late in the transfer window, as we know. Quite a low price. Um, our defence was a shambles. So it's like, well, what can this young defender bring to this team who's been who's played predominantly in the championship and he started off next to Ream and he played well against Sheffield United and now him and Anderson seem to be forming quite a strong partnership and they seem to complement each other quite well um I've, I've spoken before about the whole alpha centre-back partnership thing and that's what Anderson seems to be seems to be this big dominating centre-back mm. and you know much like with Hangeland and Hughes Hangeland being the alpha Hughes was kind of the good beta centre-back, the good the good partnership who can kind of complement what Anderson lacks. And I think he started incredibly well and Leicester was by far his best game. Yeah, I think when you look at a player like Tosin, who had, I don't think he'd ever played a, a senior game, certainly not a senior league game for Man City, maybe a couple of League Cup games or whatever. But the amount of um, plaudits he was getting from the Man City fans upon him joining us shows you that he is an ex- an exciting player and obviously we covered this back when we did sign him uh, but for a player who never actually played for the first team it was very impressive to see how high uh, you know such regard he was held in by the Man City fans so and I think you know it won't be a case of where he's going back there to prove a point he'll be going back there uh, to help you know, give us as solid a defensive display as we can against a team who are as strong going forward as Man City. And he'll know, you know, the tactics, he'll know the style. But the thing is, we all know the style of the tactics. It's about stopping those individual players and basically exerting their excellence on the game. So he will have an idea. He may not have trained with many of these players before if he was playing with the under-23s or, you know, when he was on loan. But I think, you know, he'll want to make an impression. And But I don't think that's uh, any different from any other game that he plays in because he's a young centre-back who's been thrown into the Premier League this season in a team struggling to keep clean sheets. And he's done exceptionally well. And I think his partnership with Anderson, whilst new, is certainly blossoming. And I think, you know, if we saw a few other bits, it's, it's you know, a very exciting, uh, you know, defensive uh, centre-back partnership that we have. 
in our team. And I just really hope that it carries on in that way. Mm. And an absolute steal for the price as well. I mean, it's refreshing us to see get yeah, grab a bug and what it seems like. You wonder, you wonder we why t- that was, why it was so cheap. I mean, unless he had a release yeah. clause or something like, or maybe it was coming to the end of his contract or whatever. Unusual. Uh, I think at the age of twenty three, he's probably looking at his career, and if he's not breaking into the city team by now, he's wondering when that will happen and if it will happen. And you know, when a when a Premier League club like us, quite a lower level one, comes along and expresses interest. I think he's going to want to pounce that chance to get regular first-team Premier League football. Um, he's he's kind of one of the first wave of City Academy players that have come through since uh, they've had all the Abu Dhabi money. They've invested a lot of money into their youth setup, and it's kind of only mm. now all these youth players are coming through. And you know, Phil Felden, uh, Tosin, um, Roy De Lapsun's coming through soon uh, as a striker. Yep. Keep an eye out for him. Um, and, you know, it's these, these first wave of players are coming through and you can kind of see in Telsin's style of play that he's been under the kind of the Pep Guardiola school of foot, footballing. And, you know, it's quite, a, it's a fantastic bargain that we've got him on, to be honest. So, yeah, it's all good that we've got him here. Yeah, and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the prospect of him and Anderson more than I am with Todibo, Tobido, sorry, or um, Marlon as well. I mean, I feel like you know we've we've done quite well so far. We've, but I mean, that remains to be said. Let's talk about his counterpart, Anderson, really quickly. I want to get your thoughts on the lineup for this game, lads. And the first thing I think the best place to go is: Would you keep Anderson with the armband if Tom Kenny isn't playing uh, for this game, Morgs? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I personally I wouldn't change anything from Monday night. I think um, unless there's any injuries or whatever, you have to stick with that lineup and you have to stick with that style and you have to get the players, uh, you know, drum it into them. Obviously, Mitro will be looking to get back into the starting lineup. There's no reason Mm. to suggest that he should be for this game. And not because of, you know, him lacking quality, but just simply because we are playing another game against a high quality team. We are away. We will have to, you know, forfeit a lot of possession in it and really hit t- um, Man City on the quick break. And I think if anything was um, shown on Monday night was just after Mitro came on and in that last minute where Schmeichel came up for the corner and we had that opportunity to break uh, with the last sort of few, uh, you know, few seconds of the game and Mitro got the ball and it was like, you know, it was like an oil tanker just starting getting going. It's he's he doesn't have pace. He, <laughs> that is not his style. And in the you know the way we're having to play now, you know it doesn't suit him at all, and I think it's going to be tricky for him to get back in the team whilst we're playing in this way. Uh, I think you know there'll be opportunities for him to get back, but you know we need to have that quick nippy front man, and I think yeah. whilst Bobby Decodover Reed has had his um, critics through the last season and a half, um, and you know. Rightly so. I mean, I've been one of them. I think we've all been one of them at um, you know one stage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He he certainly does fit the mold of uh, you know a nippy frontman. So whilst he may not be a, a you know a better player than Mitro, he certainly fits the mold better for this style. So I think we'll see the same lineup. But uh, whether we keep going like this, um, you know, in this manner for every game, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's just when we play the best teams, we need to adapt, and we've done that well. Well, it makes you wonder, actually, talking about strikers, you know, if we're in January, we might be looking for someone a bit nippier, as you say. But, that, that you know, January transfers is a story for another podcast. Uh, Stats, I'll go with you. What, what would you like to see from this? Would you go for an unchanged lineup? Did you like Cavalera in that false nine sort of position? 
Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of aspects to this. You know, the first is it worked well against Leicester, so keep it the same. But then the second yeah. thing is Parker himself. He, what we've seen with Parker since he's been in charge is he's quite a reactive type of manager, in the sense that he doesn't like just because it worked last week doesn't mean he's going to set up the same this week. He'll pick the team that he thinks will perform the best, perform you know to their best against Man City, whether that's playing Bobby Reed as in a right wing-back position again with Cavallero as a false nine, or whether that's bringing Mitrovic in to hold up the play or playing Tom Kearney to, you know, to hold up the ball and you know keep the ball at his feet a bit more. We, we kind of don't know. And that's, that's both frustrating and a good... It's both, it's both a, a frustrating thing and a good thing about Parker because... Uh, there is that unpredictability, but at the same time, we want a constant starting eleven that we know will perform week in, week out. But I guess, you mm. know, when it comes to these big teams like Man City, you do need to react to them rather than, you know, just play our usual football because it just won't work. No, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting to see what will happen. I mean, as you say, Parker's been very reactionary of changing the lineup. I feel that there's going to be two styles, definitely. I think these the lineup that we had against Leicester is the sort of lineup you put out for these types of games. And then when we play the mid-table, the lesser teams, you can go back to that possession play that we're used to, the sort of, you know, building up slowly from the back. But I can see us definitely going a lot more direct and being exactly like we were with Leicester with this. I wouldn't change anything. I, I really wouldn't. It was just, I think that's the best performance. I mean, which is arguably probably the biggest result we've had uh, for a very long time. I can't remember the last time we beat a top four, top 16. That was, that was certainly the best result from sort of since, you know, we got relegated in when yeah. it was 2013-14. I mean, you made a point then about, you know, when we come up against lesser teams, we might not, you know, play that style. Apart from those three below us, are there any lesser teams than us? I mean, we're still playing teams. Every week we're going to be playing teams that have played better than us this season. And, you know, we, we've always said, you know, after, you know, two seasons ago when we thought we were going to, we were trying to buy ourselves a place in the Premier League in terms of staying up That's right. and failed miserably. We, this season, it's very much about consolidation. And playing the style we are playing is a very consolidation style football. So, yeah. you know, do we keep this going? Obviously, we have to change it up. Otherwise, teams will just get, you know, get the hang of it. But I mean, Leicester won the Premier League playing this style of football proper counter-attacking football. I think, you know, they're during that season, I think their average, you know, possession was probably about 40% a game. You know, they, they mm. didn't play possession football and obviously it worked for them. Do we, you know, have we shifted away from that now, knowing that the teams that we're playing against will, you know, eat us for breakfast, essentially, if we try and outplay them. So mm. maybe this is just a new, I want to say a new era, but, you know, it's just a new style that we're going to implement moving forward. And, you know, that does raise the question, do we need a new uh, striker come January that fits the role more? Or is Mitro going to sort of start gelling into the system? And maybe the reason he hasn't started the last few, couple of games is more the fact that he's actually learning the system now. I think I think also the, the result against Leicester kind of reminded reminded us what it's like to be a mid-table team. What I mean by that is when we were a successful Premier League team, you know, back in the back in the day, back two thousand thirteen, yeah. back in the day, <laughs> yeah. yeah, back in the day, <laughs> um, we we were we, that's what we were. We were a mid-table Premier League team. The highest we came was seventh. We came twelfth, thirteenth, whatever. And by doing, we we 
we finished in those positions by getting results like this against Leicester. And we kind of lost our way a bit because obviously we went into the championship, barring those first couple of seasons in the championship, we won the majority of our games because we were an upper tier championship team. And we're, as fans, as a club, we were used to winning most games week in, week out. And then we went to the Premier League and we lost every game. And you know, that's a rubbish feeling. We're back to the championship, won all the games, and now we're kind of here. And it's kind of reminding the club that to be a successful Premier League team, you win some, you lose some, but the ones you win, you, and when you get chances to win, you take those chances and you put in those good performances. And it was kind of really refreshing to see that. Like you said, it's probably the first time yeah. we've seen a, a, a game like that since 2012, 2013. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, as you say, Morgs, I think, I really hope it is a corner turn and we do actually just stick to this. Uh, you know, I was listening to the commentary um, on the radio because I was at work for the Leicester game. Unfortunately, I couldn't watch it. I watched the highlights, of course. But, you know, they kept saying our organised defence about five times. They said our quick counter-attack, how deadly we look on the break. And I just, I would replace, I would trade that done effectively more than possession. It's always been something I prefer to watch and something I've always been more comfortable with Fulham doing, in my honesty. But, yeah, I, I, I hope, I really hope that's something we, that's more our plan A now, to be honest. And, you know, you win some, you lose them, but we actually take the chances, like you say, Stata. All right, well, let's move this on to Danny and Frenchy, who are going to do a lovely focus, player focus, rather, of Diomanzi Kamara. Take it away, Mr. French. Fulham. Right, I've got Danny with me once again to talk about the Fulham career of an ex-Fulham hero of ours, and who better to discuss as we prepare for a, a match against Manchester City than Jamansi Kamara? Danny, how you doing, mate? Hello, mate. How you doing? Yeah, all good. All good. Let's do this one then. So, in the summer of 2007, Laurie Sanchez attempted to rebuild the squad left behind by Chris Coleman, who had been sacked at the end of the previous season with a few games to go. And in addition to signing half of his Northern Ireland squad that had beaten both Spain and England... He spent six million quid on West Brom forward Jamansi Kamara. A more mobile attacker, I feel, was something the squad had lacked for quite some time. So I was quite excited by this. How did you feel when he joined and how did you generally feel about the team around that time? It was the exciting transfer window, wasn't it? Because we were used to Chris Coleman feeding off of quite a tight budget for a number of seasons. And, and the team seemed to go in decline every single year. We used to replace a good player with a player of uh, inferior quality every single season. And it got to a point where I think Chris Coleman's job was nigh on impossible. A bit harsh when you look back that he was sacked because I think he still probably would have kept us up. But then we went into the summer and, and obviously Sanchez was given this big transfer kitty to spend. And it was about 30 million, I believe. And when you look back at the, the players we were signing, Stephen Davis came with a lot of potential Obviously, went on to have a good career. Danny Murphy came in and Chris Baird. Koncheski was quite a high-profile fullback at the time. And Diamancy Kamara was actually the big name of, of them all. You know, he was the big summer signing, wasn't he? Six million pounds. And at that time, it was quite a lot of money. I do feel that Kamara probably didn't fit into Sanchez's style. He was quite a traditional manager, wasn't he? That liked the, the big lump up front. And having someone like Kamara didn't really fit into that sort of category. Wasn't the type of winger that would cross the ball. Uh, and he wasn't the type of striker that could play the target man role. So it was a bit of an odd signing in terms of the way Sanchez was going to set us up. But 
no, it was a very exciting transfer window and I was very optimistic going into that season. Am I right in saying as well that that was the same transfer window that we bought in Shefki Kuki? I think you're right. I think you're right. Because I remember playing Reading at home around November sort of time. Yeah. And it was one of the crucial wins of the season because obviously we stayed up at Reading's expense. Mm. And he flicked on the ball for Simon Davis down the yeah. wing in injury time to, to seal that win. That's right, And then yeah. Simon, Simon Davis crossed it for Healy to, to tap it in. So, yeah. No, you're right. He was a Sanchez sign-in. Yeah. I met him once, actually. Back in my days when I was in the building trade, we were working in a house in Catford. And I worked with a couple of Albanians who obviously knew Kuchi because he come from Albanian descent, despite playing for Finland. And they were, went running down the road because his car had broken down. Oh, really? And they were really excited to meet him. And I said to him at the time, oh, I'm a Fulham supporter. And he shook my hand and he said, oh, oh lovely to meet you. That was it, really. And then I just yeah. thought, well, I'm going to go now because I don't think you've played yet. That was a bizarre time, but it's a very different signing to Kamara. But I suppose if those two could have worked up front as a front two, it, it wouldn't have been that bad, would it? You know, the, the classic big man, little man and the flick-ons that Kuki could have got and Kamara to, to run onto. But that, that's my kind of memory of him playing for West Brom was him scoring the, the type of goal that, that we'll come on to talking about in a minute, you know, his, his big Hollywood moment, but just running on and running half the length of the pitch. And he was never kind of a, a delicate finisher, was he? he? He was a sort who would just put his laces through the ball. And I liked that. I was excited when we signed him for that reason as well, just because I, I thought we had a pacey finisher on our hands. Yeah, I mean, we'd just lost Barmorte uh, a few months before that, hadn't we? I think it was in the January before that. So I did feel maybe he could have been that kind of replacement, that kind of style. Going back to what you said about Cucci and, and Kamara being a partnership, we was obviously unlucky to lose McBride when we did uh, because I think McBride was the ideal kind of target man for a Sanchez team. And obviously we had David Healy come in as well, Uh he was supposed to be the goal scorer. But yeah, it just for some reason or another, uh, in those first few months, I, I never felt like Kamara really established himself as part of the first 11. And it was only the latter stages of that season, obviously, we'll get on to his, his famous moment uh, later in the show. But he was, he was never really a first, he was never really going to make his claim to get into the first team. He was a bench player at best for a large part of that season. He was. Um, of course, Laurie Sanchez's reign as manager was absolutely appalling and didn't last long at all. But the first memory I have of Kamara playing in that Sanchez team that season is his looping overhead kick equaliser against Spurs in the last minute. Gareth Bale might have scored one or two that game as well. And it felt that day like we did perhaps have something to, to cling on to in terms of excitement in that Sanchez team obviously wasn't to be in the end but what are your memories of that goal well I just couldn't believe it I couldn't believe what I was seeing it came in injury time didn't it and obviously it was a free free draw it was end to end and it was a, a very dramatic way to to end the game he loved a dramatic finish didn't he Kamara but I think it's a very underrated goal obviously as Fulham fans when we do on this day tweets and, and we put it out there it's it's fondly remembered it's not one of those where the pace is on the ball and all he has to do is make connection with it. It's a long throw in, isn't it? And then someone heads it, but it's, they head it back. So it's going back towards our keeper. It's going away from goal. And he has to delicately loop it 
over Paul Robinson's head. I mean, inch perfect. You know, it's phenomenal technique. I, I don't think he would be able to do it again if he tried hundred times. But when it counted, he did pull it off. And for me, it's one of our greatest Premier League goals. It just makes you wonder why he was a squad player and why he wasn't just a better player for Fulham when he had that in his locker. To be honest with you, I think some players have a knack of coming up with individual moments of brilliance in one-off games. But to be a starter, really, you've got to be consistent. You Normally, a manager will go for that player that's 7 out of 10 every single week. You know, not outstanding, but never going to let him down. And I think with Kamara, he was a bit unpredictable and a bit inconsistent and was more of a impact player rather than uh, somebody that could affect a game from the start. Maybe because he was quick and he was more favourable when players were tiring. I don't know what it is. I, I think if you play in the Premier League, you know, you're a Premier League player in your own right and you've clearly got some talent about you. And on your day... I don't think there's much between you and the players that play for the big teams. But the difference between the players that play for the big teams and the players that play for Fulham is that their day is every single week, whereas ours are hit and miss. And that's why they don't play at the very top. Uh, And I feel that's probably Kamara's downfall. He was just not consistent enough. I think that's fair. Well, before too long, Laurie Sanchez was gone. Roy Hodgson was in and eventually we got going in February when Jimmy Bullard and Brian McBride came back from injury. Results were still mixed until that famous final run-in. None more famous than that Man City game, though, where relegation would be confirmed if we'd lost the game. At 2-0 down at half-time, the fat lady was clearing her throat. Talk me through what happened next. I couldn't believe it. I'll never forget that day. Uh, I'm One of the games that I really regret not being at. Uh, I was at my nan and granddad's house following it on the the scores coming in and we were 2-0 down at half time and I thought I saw this. So now I left to go home thinking, well, you know, we're, we're down. I got off the bus at the other end and I saw it was 2-2 and I was like, bloody hell, where's that come from? So I ran home from the bus stop to my house, got in as it was approaching the 90th minute and straight away I put Gillette Soccer Saturday on I uh, couldn't believe it. Jeff Stelling, my mum walks in the front room, Jeff Stelling goes to Paul Merton, what a goal, can't believe it. They've only gone and done it. And I think he throws a pen at the table, he's so excited. I couldn't believe it. You know, the jumping up and down, the reaction from my living room has never been quite like that moment. And to me, if we was going to rate his career without the likes of the Man City game, it would probably be really low because it was quite insignificant for a lot of it. But how can you give him a low score when, in my opinion, he gave us our greatest moment of the Premier League era when he scored that Man City goal? It was just absolutely incredible. It was a hell of a finish as well. I mean, he, he got the first goal, didn't he, for us? Or was it the second one? No, he got the first goal. And then there was the Danny Murphy missed penalty, but he scored the rebound. And I just remember Danny Murphy threading the ball through to him. And he still had lots to do. He, You know, he was on the halfway line when he picked the ball up pretty much and just crashed his foot through that ball. And there, no keeper was stopping that. And I just remember the, the camera goes round, doesn't it? And Roy Hodgson leaps up in the air and Sven's head just drops into his lap. Like, how on earth have we lost this game? And from that point on, it was on, wasn't it? Staying up was on. 
Well, we were dead and buried at half time, and out of nowhere, we turned it around. And I think at the time we were relegated because not only were we losing, but Birmingham and Reading were both winning. And by the time it got around to the end of the game, obviously we turned our result around, and I think theirs has gone the other way. So it just completely swung the momentum in our favour. And if you're not going to believe it's possible after pulling off a result like that, then you're never going to have optimism, are you? So it was a turning point in what turned out to be the greatest period of our club's history. And Kamara just played such a big part in that. And I'll never forget that moment. Never forget it. I really, really gutted I wasn't there because you see it on the TV and you see the way the fans react. Uh, honestly, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. It was just very, very special. And that's why I love supporting a club like Fulham. We're not talking here about winning titles. Just won our fifth title in a row. You know, we're talking about one of our greatest moments of our history being defying the odds to survive. And as a club, we're so used to doing that. And our older generations of fans have been through much more meaningful uses of the word survive. Just surviving as a club. And I think that day just sums up what's so great about supporting Fulham, that we can do it our way and achieve the impossible, if you like. And it may be not the impossible to a big club, but the impossible for us. What can you say? It was just a, a very proud moment to be a Fulham fan, which is hard to explain because we ended up finishing fourth from bottom. But that's why a big club will never get it. They'll never understand what it's like to support Fulham. Without that goal, life as a Fulham fan over the next few years would have just been really different. We'd have gone down that season. We wouldn't have had Europe. Roy probably would have left. And God knows, it would have just been a completely different history for the club, wouldn't it? That It was such an important goal, knowing what was to come. Well, we would have signed Richard Stearman about four years younger, and that probably would have pulled off uh, a really good signing. We would have got his best years. <laughs> yeah, we would have got him in his prime. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it just turned out to be um, the greatest roller coaster you could imagine, didn't it? You, I don't think anyone could really believe it was possible. I suppose Leicester have obviously done something even more incredible since because they survived and then went on to win the Premier League. But, yeah, at the time, what we did seemed impossible to go from surviving to record-breaking league position and then get into a European League final. All in the space of two years just seemed impossible job. And obviously, without the great escape, it wouldn't have happened. So I think Diamante Kamara, without ever being a really important player in any of the seasons he played for us, has gone down in our history for scoring arguably one of the most important goals ever. Uh, So quite a unique career, really, compared to a lot of players that have played for us. This is the great thing about sport, though, and for all the Fulham supporters might moan and bitch and think that we don't we don't have much success. And, you know, we're when we're in the Premier League these days, we're always at the wrong end of the table. But just just to go from relegation certainties that season to somehow pulling off that win at Man City to then going on to stay up and then going on to build a, a, a team that was to reach Europe the following season and then in Europe get to the final. It's just, that's our fairy tale really, isn't it? I don't think, aside from winning that European final, I don't think it would ever get any better than that for a Fulham supporter. 
No, I don't think it would. But I think that squad in particular was quite clearly a case of being mismanaged. They wasn't a rubbish team. It was strange that we were down the bottom for as long as we was. And all it took was a couple of tweaks in the January, Hangeland and people like that coming in to transform it. When you think about it, we had players like Koncheski, uh, Aaron Hughes, Murphy that went on to play in the Europa League final. So there was a core of players already at the club. So we had the team. We just maybe didn't have the manager to back it up. And obviously Roy Hodgson come in and... Even though Roy Hodgson is a fantastic manager, he did a phenomenal job to turn it around as quickly as he did. Well, just really quickly, the next season after the Man City game, of course, we reached Europe, as we've just said. Kamara scored a winner away at Newcastle that season. And then, of course, there were some key goals in our Europa group games too as we made it out of the group and began to make our way to the final. I think it's fair to say that he certainly played his part more than a, a lot of players in the history of Fulham Football Club. Right, yeah, and we've we've really focused on that Man City goal because of obviously what it meant. But when you go through those goals that he did score, even the overhead kick that we've already touched on was a priceless point. We stayed up on goal difference in the end. So even that was a massive goal at the time. And he wasn't the type of player to score consolation goals, was he? He would always come up with that magic moment when it mattered. It didn't happen often, but when it did happen, it seemed to be a significant goal. The Newcastle goal was the reason we got into the Europa League in the first place because we wouldn't have finished seventh without that goal. Spurs would have overtaken us. So it was a massive win in the penultimate game of the season. Uh, and then, of course, he scores the goal. Well, the, the Roman one, I suppose, is a bit of irrelevant because uh, we lost that game. But the Sofia goal, we were 1-0 down in that game and you could argue that they were the easiest team in our group on paper. And if we had lost that game, I think it would have been a really poor start to the group stage. So the fact that he got us up and running with an equaliser and a point just showed that he had something to offer to that team. Uh, And I've got a theory that, you know, he shouldn't have gone in the January that season. We we had Andy Johnson out injured. We signed a Kaka on loan in the January who couldn't play in Europe. So essentially, we were pinning all our hopes on Zamora and Gira not getting injured. We didn't really have anyone else. I think we might have had David Elm. So I think we missed the trick a little bit by loaning Kamara out in the January and not keeping him, given his track record of coming off the bench and making an impact. What a sub he would have been to have in the Europa League final as players were tiring, particularly with Zamora being injured. So I think that is probably... One of the biggest mistakes Hodgson made was letting him go in the January. Just wonder, though, whether or not he asked to go because he wasn't really featuring much. He, he was down the pecking order. and I, I don't even remember him going on loan to Celtic that January, to be honest. But I, I think with hindsight and looking at your theory on paper, it certainly makes sense. That would have been beneficial to Fulham. I just wonder whether it was more the player that wanted to go. Well, I'd like to know his position on it now, given hindsight. Obviously, at the time, he must have been frustrated, but you know, could have had the opportunity to play in the Europa League final. So I think being cruel to be kind and keeping him might have actually worked out better for both. We wouldn't have been in that position without his contributions originally. So I'll always be grateful for what he did for Fulham. We've seen so many ups and downs as Fulham supporters, but to see what we thought was the impossible... It's unforgettable. 
Speaking about unforgettable, um, or more forgettable, actually, he also went on loan to Leicester and then left permanently on a free in July 2011, signed for a Turkish side. I'll have a go at pronouncing it. Eşgisihirispor, something like that. Um, I feel like he's another one of these players who snuck out the door at the club with minimal fuss. Do you remember him leaving? And I feel like if he was ever to come back, I think he'd get a really good reception. Oh, of course he would. Yeah, why wouldn't he? For all the reasons that we've already mentioned. I can't imagine any Fulham fan would have a bad word to say about him. Obviously, constructive criticism. Overall, he wasn't a very consistent player. But it doesn't matter, does it? All you remember is the important moments. And without him being a Fulham player, if he hadn't signed that summer, then we wouldn't have gone on to do what we did. So even though I suppose... In theory, it wasn't value for money. Technically, it was because what he gave us in the end was priceless. And I would have paid 30 million, 50 million, 100 million just for him to score those one or two goals. He's written himself into Fulham folklore. A bit like Rodney McAree. All he had to do was score one goal and now he will never be forgotten. And it's very similar. Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. Rodney McAree was a bit part player, wasn't he? during that 96-97 season and just came up with that one unbelievable goal and one moment. And yeah, that's all it takes. You're absolutely right. So with that in mind then, rate Jumansi Kamara's Fulham career out of 10, as we always do. Without those important goals, then it probably would have been as low as a three or a four because I thought he was a very ordinary player. But given what he did for Fulham with those goals, you can't mark him low, can you? I think I would have to give him a 7.5. I'm going half a point down from you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go seven. But as you say, those moments of magic lift his score up to a seven from what would have been an otherwise pretty nondescript time at the club. But no one's ever going to forget his name and no one's ever going to forget that goal in particular and what it meant. So, yeah, 7 out of 10 for me. Good stuff, mate. All right, thanks for that. Let's pass back to the main show. Fulham. All right, and we're back. Now, Mr. Stato, can you please unravel your stats for us for this game? We've already briefly talked about their season so far, but I'd like to know... Actually, no, Morgan, I'll go to you first, mate. Can you tell us about our record versus Man City? Uh, I can, yeah. Um, we've uh, we've played them sixty-seven times overall. We've won seventeen of them. We've drawn sixteen of them. Uh, however, we have lost thirty-four of them, and that uh, you know Shit. that record hasn't been helped by the fact in the last ten games uh, it's produced nine defeats and one draw. Obviously, most of those have come uh, since the uh, Abu Dhabi era has taken over. That one draw came back in September 2011, which was 2-2 at the Cottage, with goals from Bobby Zamora and uh, oh yeah, um, Vincent Company's own goal, where he sliced it back over his head. Um, which oh, yeah. I think for any Sunday League defenders, uh, you know that was a classic example of how to do it. Our last win against City at Etihad came 11 years ago in April 2009, when we won 3-1 in the league when uh, Clint Dempsey scored a couple and Dixon Latuhu scored against his old club. That was actually the first season of City being, uh, you know, uber rich. So that was the, um, uh, you know, final time that we'd ever played them whilst we were on a similar plateau. Um, Before then, in 2009, 
results between us in the Premier League were pretty much evenly contested. One four, drew six, lost five in that period. Um, however, our last six games at the Etihad have resulted in uh, 19 goals conceded and zero scored. So plenty of room for improvement this time around. Christ, yeah, that is bad. That is really bad. I mean, that, I mean it doesn't get much worse than that, does it? I mean, that's a that's a pretty poor average score as well. That's over three goals a game. So, but yeah. was the last time we was the last time we played City when Tim Ream finished his career with us, or was it a game before that? I can't remember. Yeah, was it was it? just uh, yeah, he finished his career and then I think he played the next game. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he uh, no, he definitely finished his career then. Um, but no, when we all, so quick, I, I, it was we a quick a uh, Neil Warnock retirement. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it was a rare Congolo appearance as well, wasn't it? Did he get? It injured was a great tackle well? against Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, um, I don't know if he got injured that game. Maybe he did actually. Maybe he injured himself. No, it was it was the um, league, it was the league game after that. Oh, okay, his, but he, uh, probably, he, he was probably injured, injured then anyway. I mean, he's always injured. I mean, yeah. you know, when, yeah, when the guy gets fit, fit we'll, be, uh, we'll hold a celebration when he finally gets fit. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, look before we before we um, before we look at the city players to watch out for, which let's face it is all of them. Um, let's, let's let's have City at a glance from you, Stato, please, mate. Give us give us your work. Yeah. So I've just got some quick stats here that you know are quite interesting to look at this season. So as as we've already mentioned, they're scoring a lot less compared to last season. Two point seven was the average last year. Now he's scoring 1.6, still more than a goal a game. So that's still you know, pretty good going, but significantly less than what City are used to. And they're actually mm. conceding a lot more as well. There's, there are a lot more, there's a lot more gaps in that defence now. Um, last season, on average, they conceded 0.9 goals per game. And at the moment, that figure's currently at 1.2. So, you know, wow. judging by that stat, we, are, we should score against them at least. So, yay, yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 yeah, we'll I... score the Etihad. I can. I, I might put on a bet for Luckman to score a goal, maybe on Bet Three Six Five. I'm not sure. Shouldn't really be bright. There are there are other bookies available. There are there are. <laughs> Victor, bet, bet responsibly. Our, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they we we know that they beat Burnley five nil in the league last week. Um, fun extra stat there. They've beat Burnley five nil in the league at home for the last four seasons in a row. Um, and Burnley have got a European place in that time. So, you know, a 5 0 dropping by City means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Um, but mm. only one of their wins so far has come from a goal margin of more than two, and that was that Burnley win. Um, and again, that's kind of showing how little goals they're scoring at the moment. You know, last season, 14 of their wins came from a goal margin of two plus. And at the moment, we're nine games in, and only one of those has been. So, you know, there's, a, there's a lack of goals and almost a lack of attacking threat there from City. Uh, 67% of the goals they've scored have come in the first half. Um, doesn't quite bode well for us, given how early we concede goals at the moment. Um, sure. And the, However, the majority, what they concede is between the 50th, 15th and the 30th minute mark. So that's kind of a danger zone for us to not concede in at the moment. And points-wise, they're averaging 1.7. And again, that shows that they're not doing as well as they have done in the past, because last season they would be averaging 2.1 points per game. So, you know, another sign that City aren't quite at their strongest at the moment. Right. And as we go on to the players, Stato, what do you predict the front three is going to be uh, for them this game? Is it going to be, I mean, we've, I can imagine De Bruyne is going to play because I think he was rested against Porto. Definitely he didn't start. I know that much. Uh, the front three that we'll be facing, who do you think it's going to be? 
it's an interesting one. It's, it's, it's typical uh, pet roulette, really. It could be absolutely anything. I don't know if Aguero is fully fit. He's barely played at he's, all this season. Yeah, he's got a little niggle on his knee, I believe. Funny thing about Aguero, just really quickly, I didn't realise that his father-in-law was the late Diego Maradona. Had no idea about that. Uh, I only found that out when, uh, on the, that evening when, obviously, Maradona died and Man City were playing. Yeah, so, I was just. I think just, I, never I think knew. I saw a meme once where Aguero's kid, his his dad's Aguero, his granddad's Maradona, and I think his godfather was Messi. I don't know if that if that was a lie or not. And then the meme That's, was just oh no pressure, God. no pressure, kid. <laughs> no, I think I think <laughs> That's right. Person, I think <laughs> no, Messi Messi is the godfather to Aguero's kid. I think I, I'm is actually true? almost yeah. certain of it. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. God, that is, <laughs> that's that is just, some. That's, 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 that's peak too much. royalty. Imagine yeah, if the kid is. becomes like a, pl- a, pl- a plumber or something. <laughs> 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 just, just, just Barry in the office, you know what I mean? Um, let's, let's talk about a plumber. Barry, Barry Aguero. Barry Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> let's, talk... <laughs> oh, man. let's talk about some players we should be watching out for then. Um, Morgan, who, who, who would you like to just pinpoint to us that something we should be a bit fearful of and get, you know, Tosin Adebayo on the case? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick two. Uh, I'm gonna pick one of the obvious ones, uh, which I think Riyad Mahrez. I think he's one of these players that sometimes goes a little bit under the radar for um, for City, uh, but he is a he is an excellent. He is just an excellent forward player. Uh, obviously, he showed it in Leicester, uh, and then the step up, he was used as sort of relatively sparingly, I guess, by City at the start. But you know, this season he's their top scorer of four goals. He is. In the in the world of expected goals, he's currently at two a game, uh, which is a good record for the winger. Uh, he's had 21 mm. shots with 10 on target so far this season. And if he plays, he'll be out on the right-hand side, will freely cut in on his left foot, and um, which two goals have come from that left foot, one with his head, one with his right foot. Anthony Robinson has got to be very careful. Obviously, you know, speed is Robinson's you know, strong point. Um, mm. But obviously, between him and I don't know, is Tosin playing on the left hand side of our centre backs? Can I remember? Yeah, he is. So, yeah, he's the left centre back, and uh, um, and um, Anderson is the right. Yeah, but um, you know, obviously, that's going to be a, you know a massive danger point. And Mara's scores goals. He scores free kicks as well. I think when uh, De Bruyne is not taking them, and so yeah, he is that he is that big danger man uh, that I would account for. However, there's also another one who is um, the young Spaniard, Ferran Torres, who scored oh, yeah. his first goal in the Premier League for City last weekend, uh, just as he was about to be taken off. And he um, he played up front against Porto um, on, whatever it was, Tuesday night. Uh, didn't score, but, you know, leading the line. Against uh, Burnley, he was playing uh, just on the, the left-hand side which, as we know, is where Aina will be coming up against him. And sure. let's not you know, be around the bush. Aina's not the strongest right back. And we've got to be very careful. This is a young kid who just scored three goals against Germany, a full-strength German side in the uh, Nations League. And when I saw uh, on the you know, flash score, wherever it was I look at, and F. Torres scored three goals against Germany, I thought... Fernando's having a bit of a comeback these days. And then uh, yeah. it turns out no, it was a 20-year-old Man City player. And, you know, obviously he's then scored his first goal. And he's going to be he's going to be up for it. I mean, this kid is going to want to impress. And I think he's, this is the – he will look at this game. He will look at, uh, you know, who he's coming up against at, in the right-back spot. 
And I think he could have a bit of a field day if Aina is uh, up to his old tricks. Uh, hopefully, um, Bobby Reed, if he's playing there and covering again, uh, will help him out. But, you know, we've got to be very careful because I think he's going to be a danger man. All right. And for you, Stato, mate, anyone you want to pinpoint out to us? Yeah, so as Morgs mentioned, we've, there's Mares, there's Ferran Torres, and if they both play, it's likely Torres will play through the middle or out wide. If he plays out wide, we'll have um, Jesus to deal with. He's got two goals and one assist so far uh, this season. Hmm. Um, if he plays in the middle, we'll likely see uh, Raheem Sterling. Now, we, we all know what Sterling's about. Um, we'll play out on the left, we'll cut in. Uh, his dribbling is you know, kind of one of the best in the world. Finishing, maybe not as good as it could be but you know he's still only 23 24 years old i think so he's still actually very young despite the fact it feels like he's been here for ages so far this season he's, he's down as two goals and one assist which is quite you know quite an underwhelming figure for him so far considering last year last year he managed 20 goals although he only got one assist last year so he has all he has already leveled his assist tally but he's still a long way off his goal tally from last year he's currently on only 1.6 expected goals so far this season um, with having 16 shots and only six on target so you know he's he's playing well but not in you know the red hot fire form that we know him to be in so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on if he does play and then, of course, we, we we already mentioned his son Barry, but you know we need to. We, we, it's worth talking about Sergio quickly, and you know if he does play, he's going to be aching to get off the mark to get his first Premier League goal this season. I don't think it's ever taken Aguero ten games to score his first goal in the Premier League, so we should be a bit wary of that. But you know, 180 goals in 265 games for City so far. It's we can't ignore that, and if he even if he's not in his red hot form that he is and he's 32 years old and he may not be as fast. He's still going to be a massive threat and one we should be aware of. But Hey, mm. if we can deal with a pacey Jamie aging, Jamie Vardy, we can deal with a pacey aging Sergio Aguero. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, here, here. It's not, it's not, it's, well, not, hopefully. You know, it's not a bad yeah. point. Hopefully, you know, I mean, all right. Well, another obvious one to talk about is Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I didn't realise his expected assist is currently at 3.13 per game stat, which you've put down. If we can somehow keep him quiet, then we might be able to stop him from scoring as well. But uh, one goal and five assists so far this season for the Belgian playmaker. I mean, he's just one of the best players in the world. So that's obviously one we've got to watch out for. And you've mentioned Gabriel Jesus, who I think will score against us. But I've just got a feeling that City will beat us and they'll be quite... They'll be quite comfortable. Then they'll make a substitution. I just can just see Phil Foden scoring for some reason. It just feels like a Phil Foden scoring game to me. I can just imagine that happening for us. Now, I've mentioned what I think, not necessarily the score, but the result. And I'd like to get your score prediction, please, Morgs. Are you saying that, you know, it'll be 3-0 and then when the game's all done and dusted, Pep will bring on Foden and we'll just be like, yeah. for fuck's sake. All right, there you go. Something like that. Sort of yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, look, I mean... Prediction-wise, even the most optimistic Fulham fan is going to struggle to predict a, a win in this one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say three-one City, and I say that in optimistic terms because that means we've scored a goal against them. And I don't think anything should be read into this game at all. It is just one of those games that if we lose it, we take it on the chin, we move on, and we win our next game. This, you know, we've had a very good game and we should draw confidence from the Leicester game. And 
if we do get something from this uh, game, that would be amazing. But let's not get sort of uh, bogged down by sort of, you know, over over emotional over emotional about losing to a Man City team who you know are at you know especially the Etihad are in uh, pretty decent form. So that's uh, yeah, so. yeah. You say you say uh, you know let's lose the City and win our next game. It's Liverpool, mate. You know it's, it's going to be yeah. But Liverpool have got any players? <laughs> They're going to be playing their under eights at this point. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, not bad, not bad. Maybe maybe you're right. Go on, Stato. What was your store prediction for this one? Yeah, so um, I mentioned earlier how Burnley, they've lost 5-0 in this fixture for the last four seasons running. And I remember Sean Dyche, I think, saying after one of them, like, he doesn't really care about this result. They just brush it off and move on to the next one. And I haven't looked it up, but I'd guarantee the next game, probably at Turf Moor, they probably like beat a Crystal Palace-type team 1-0 or 2-1, and they just bounced back and got on with their season. So if we do lose 5-0, it's not the end of the world. It happens, it's Man City. If we catch them on a good day, it's just the way it goes. However, I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to lose. I think we're going to lose. But I think after seeing how good we can play against a, you know, against a good team like Leicester, I think we'll put in a good spirited performance. And I agree with Morgs. I think we'll be a spirited 3-1 loss. Like we'll get that goal, but it'll just be a 3-1 loss and we'll move on. All right. That's that's fair enough, lads. I'm, I'm going to be... Slightly more optimistic and just say two one. I just hope to think that we <laughs> ironed out those. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, you're just, you're, those, just um, uh, you're living in a fancy land, mate. <laughs> sit down, mate. Sit down. Bloody hell. Have I'm another one. Thinking that. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking. You know. I'm just trying to. You know. Be positive, really. <laughs> I think. I would say a two one defeat at the Etihad in in the current state would be a very positive result. You know, I think, you know, we won't take anything from the actual, uh, the goals against Colin, but I think, you know, we will have to look at the performance. And if the players look like they're up for it, and if they put in a spirited performance, uh, you know, stick to the game plan and, you know, do exactly what Scott's asked of them, then we can't have any complaints. If individual brilliance beats us, so be it. But we want to see from those players, you know, that they're committed to giving their best shot at being this team. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope, let's hope. And hopefully we'll see some sort of, I don't know, just some sort of evolution from Leicester. Even if it is a loss, if we can still see us play well, then that's all I ever asked for. And that's, that's perfect. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a good part. I've enjoyed it. It's good to see you, Stanton. Good to see you, Morgan. We'll be back. We'll be back with a reaction to this game with Frenchie. And speaking of Frenchie, thank you very much for producing it. And thank you for all for listening. We appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on all the social media outlets. Please tell your friends and keep on supporting Full and Focus. Bye for now. Fulham.